Well, folks, welcome to Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis from Washington, D.C. You guys know the story already. I won't repeat it today, but today we are going to have a great interview today with Ian Rifowitz. Rifowitz, I always get his name wrong, you know, but uh, we are going to talk about Trump destroying America's democracy. We are going to talk about a whole lot of things. Welcome, Nanette Bird-Smith. Welcome, Bridge MCP. Welcome, Michael Rudnan. Welcome, you guys are our early starters. Thank you so kindly for being here. Look, this is an important show, and there are some pieces that I needed to get together that I wasn't able to do on time, but I'm going to put it in further blogs. And for our subscribers, I'm going to have it there early for you, uh, early for you later on this afternoon, or this evening, I should say. Uh, because it is time for Democrats to really start acting up. It is time for them to not give Donald Trump the, the, the belief that somehow what he's doing is democratic. It is time for us to start getting serious. It is time for us to not let it be even a contention that Donald Trump lost the election. And we had a Democratic, uh, a Democratic representative who did a great job of articulating that reality. And I think it is important that we going forward start to not hope for Donald Trump to do the right thing. Donald Trump never does the right thing. It is time for us to just go ahead and take it. Do the right thing. Title of the show today, Trump destroying American democracy like 1930s Germany, according to Professor Ian Wolferitz. And of course, we do the uh, the election 2020. Bridge MCP, are you saying he might do a coup? Bridge, he would love to do a coup, a legal coup that is, because there are, as, as, um, as I think, uh, I, I think it was uh, Bleaker, uh, Hope Bleaker, Bleacher, who gave us a, a, a piece from, uh, from uh, what's his name, uh, from the Obama administration, who showed a legal way that Donald Trump could try to get this majority of uh, uh, legislators that are controlled by Republicans to do something of that sort. It would be constitutionally legal, I think personally, based on where the country is today, based on us, based on progressive, based on Democrats having won the popular vote in seven of the last eight elections. Think about that. Most popular votes in this country are consistently, constantly won by the progressive side of our, of our country. Yet we have a pronounced conservative lean, not because the country is some center-right country, but because we have a constitutional aberration. We have a defect in the Constitution that allows that to occur. That California has two senators and North Dakota has two senators mean that the, 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 each person's voice in, North, in, 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 in California has so much less value than that person's voice in North Dakota. That is not a democracy. That is a failure. That is a failure, an utter failure of democracy. And we have lived with this because pretty much the electoral college has somehow mimicked the popular vote, if not by, vo if not by proportional volume, at least by outcome. But over the years, this has changed. And we have to do something about that. We cannot continue to have minority rule. Already we have the packing of the courts by the right who has who 
ultimately what they will do is attempt to make progressive policies unconstitutional, not because they are unconstitutional, but because they can. These are the things that we are fighting for. And when this representative, who I will try to process it as we go on, when she says it is time for us to fight the real fight, the real battle, it is what we must do. It is time to um, eliminate the possibility of continual minority rule. Let me, let, me, let me qualify something here. Because whenever you talk about uh, minority rule, we cannot have minority rule, we have those people on the right that comes and they say, the tyranny of the majority, the tyranny of the majority. Well, that is the reason we have the Bill of Rights, to prevent the tyranny of the majority. That is why we have inalienable rights, rights that a majority cannot take away. Nobody can take away your right of speech. Nobody can take away your right of assemble. Nobody can take away many of your rights. That is what the that is why we created the first ten amendments. The what again? The the Egberto, ¿qué te pasa? No te olvides the Bill of Rights. That is why we created the Bill of Rights. But everything else falls under the purview of majority rule and the reality is when asked for policies the majority of this country likes progressive policies so what i'm going to do is uh, i'm going to get started with the program i'm going to go ahead and give you ian wiferitz but before you know what let me go ahead and salute my people because it's a it's a fairly long interview so let me just tell everybody hello michael rudnan welcome aboard nanette bird smith welcome aboard bridge mcp welcome aboard uh bruce pollard welcome aboard michael uh, lee grant welcome aboard great to see you patrick barr welcome aboard pamela mattox welcome aboard uh who else is here uh come on early because i'm going to the video in a little bit let's see who else is here Anyhow, if anybody else come, I'll salute you at the end of the video. But let's go ahead and get started with El Señor. This is a good, solid interview. I think you're going to enjoy this. Egberto, why don't you write us this perfect constitution rather than attempt to delegitimize the current one, which has guided the most successful society that ever exists on the planet? First of all, to assume that a, that a society that has only existed for uh, 400 years or so, sir. Lee Grant, you know I love you. But you're wrong. A 400-year-old society cannot be considered the greatest society of the world when we've had, uh, we've had societies that have, uh, uh, that have existed for more than 400 years. We are a very young country, and the 200-plus years as a country under this constitution does not generate what is, in fact, the best country. We, we promote ourselves as exceptional. Not because we say we are exceptional makes us exceptional. I love America. I live in America. I chose America from the country that I came from because America has the growth potential. America has the riches. America has the resources that we can make a better America. But do not ever dare think that because we pat ourselves on the back, and that we say America, our country is exceptional, that it makes it so. We can attain exceptionalism if we choose to do so. But 200 years of history ain't history compared to other societies that have been very successful in the history and what they have given to humanity. America did not create all that it is. America is the cosmopolitan city. It's a, it's a mixture of intelli intellect from all over the world, from Africa, from China, from Europe, from South America. It is, that is what makes America great. America is great because it doesn't represent one thing. 
in as much as it was savagely formed, that it, it brought a whole lot of people that could create much. So, sir, with all due respect, Lee Grant, please change that moniker. It isn't accurate. Uh, welcome aboard, Vince, Vincere Automori. Welcome aboard. Uh, let's see if there's anybody else. Okay, let's go ahead and get to our interview. Wonderful interview. I think you guys are going to like this. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. I'm here with one of my one of my favorite guests, uh, Ian Reifowitz, a professor of historical studies at Empire State College of the State University of New York. He is the author of three books, specifically The Tribalization of Politics, How Rush Limbaugh's Race-Baiting Rhetoric on the Obama Presidency Paved the Way for Trump. He also wrote the book Obama's America, A Transformative Vision of Our National Identity. I think that was put out by Potomac Books. And I'll have all these books in the list that we have here. And he wrote Imagining an Austrian Nation, Joseph Samuel Bloch and the Search for a Multi-Ethnic Austrian Identity. Uh, Reifowitz is also one of the most prolific contributing editors to Daily Coast. I've been honored to be on the same staff with him, write with him. He's just one of those all-around um, writers out there that knows what he's talking about. Ian Reifowitz, welcome to Politics Done Right. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Egberto. I love having you. I love when you have me on the show. I was going to say, I love having you on my show. <laughs> <laughs> some some of the time. But my, my dear friend, uh, let me tell you, you wrote an article that sort of touched me, and I want you to kind of go over it with, with our audience, because I think it is important. Uh, the title of your article was, uh, was, or not was, the title of your article is Trump's False Claims of Stolen Election or original or an original and evoke a dangerous historical precedence. That is an article that I think needs exploring. Why don't you tell me a little bit about firstly what got you into write what what made you want to write that article? And then let's go into the meat of the article. Right. Uh, so as a uh, history professor, and you mentioned my first book, which um, unlike my most recent books, my first book really, uh, you know, is set in, in history, in Central European history, and that's where my, my PhD training is, uh, Austria-Hungary, Germany, and that part of Europe. And so, in many ways, my intellectual journey is about the attempt to understand where real hatred comes from, the kind of hatred that leads to the kind of mass murder that you saw in the Holocaust. So, you know, as well as being a Jewish person, you know, a person who is Jewish as well, uh, th there's some personal and intellectual uh, motivation to understand that. And so one of the, uh, the key um, signposts in, the, in, in German history as they moved uh, towards, uh, you know, the Nazi takeover in 1933 was what happened at the end of World War I. And at the end of World War I, Germany was defeated by the, by the Western Allies. However, uh, elements on the right wing, uh, uh, elements on the right wing in Germany, um, the commanders of the Imperial Army, uh, essentially created this myth that the, 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 the military was never defeated in battle, and it was instead sold out. And so, or actually, the, the, the proper term is stab in the back, and the German term is Dolstoslegende, the stab in the back legend. 
uh, they were stabbed in the back by the politicians back home and specifically by uh, liberal and democratic and Jewish and socialist politicians. Uh, the German war effort was led through four plus years by a monarchy. It was called the German Empire. Kaiser Wilhelm was the head of state. And actually by the end of the war, the, the two chief military leaders were, were basically running a, a military dictatorship. That was uh, Paul von Hindenburg, who later became president uh, of, of Germany um, and was the second and final president. He was the one who actually gave power to Hitler. Uh, and the other was Erich uh, Ludendorff. They led the army in battle. The, uh, the Kaiser was their head of state. But two days before Germany actually surrendered, the Kaiser was overthrown. There was a democratic revolution in Germany so that this new democratic government in the end had to put its signature on the, the armistice papers and the surrender papers. So the military commander said, oh, it was them. It was those Democrats and Jews and socialists who stabbed us in the back right when we were uh, on the verge of victory or at least you know, holding our own or whatever. This is a complete lie. It's a complete denial of fact. And that was what was going through my mind, or that popped into my mind as I was thinking about what Donald Trump was doing, denying the fact of his election defeat, saying that the election was stolen, saying that the election was stolen by liberals, by Joe Biden, who he's called a socialist. Uh, it, it hasn't, at least in the election, in the post-election phase, he hasn't, Trump hasn't been using anti-Semitic language directly, at least, but we'll leave that aside for now. But he definitely has been talking about liberals and socialists stealing the election from him and it just reminded me of this uh, parallel to this Dolchstoss legenda, the stab in the back myth in German history. And it's so dangerous because it's an undermining of our democracy. Now, what happened in Germany is that the Dolchstoss legenda essentially um, took the legitimacy of this new democratic government system in Germany away right at its founding. Because throughout the, the 1920s, uh, uh, people on the right, including later, you know, within a few years, including Hitler, said, well, you know, the, the only reason, you know, Germany lost World War I, as I said, is, is they were stabbed in the back by the Democratic politicians back home. And, and that's how they got their power. Democracy essentially only emerged in Germany by stabbing the military in the back. So the, so the democracy uh, is illegitimate. So, and, you know, let, let me, let me but, hold you there for a second, uh, Ian. In, in order, what, what you're actually saying then is Donald Trump knows for a fact that he has lost. We've always known that. Oh, he yes. knows that he has lost. But he wants to take a pound of flesh, not for revenge, but for the future. And you see, that is, that is different than what a whole lot of people are saying. A lot of people are just looking at this as Donald Trump being a child. Donald Trump just uh, can't feel about losing. What you're saying is Donald Trump is trying to make a systemic change in America in the belief that in as much as he has lost that up and coming is that movement that he wants to say the only reason you have lost is that you've been aggrieved right uh, and I don't I, I'm not going to say that we know exactly what's going on in his mind but we can certainly see that what he is doing is undermining our democracy let, let me let, let me uh, I want to Hold back a second right there. You, you, where you say you don't want to get into his mind. I never thought the man had a mind. I never thought the man had intellect at all. But he does have a whole bunch of very smart people behind him. And he is being the figurehead. So I, I want to broaden that question a bit. And that question being, 
do you think the studied ones of the right around him actually know how to use him to push his buttons to get to what you're talking about? Wow, that's such a great question. You know, I don't have a I don't have an, a, a solid answer to that. What keeps going on, my, on in my mind is that he really is the driving force. Mm -hmm. He is the one driving this strategy. Uh, I don't believe there are a lot of people around him who think he, he who who think he can win. Uh, you know, it turned obviously you know overturn the election. Um, I think, and I read a really interesting piece on Daily Coast today by by uh, Mark Sumner that he does believe that in, in undermining the legitimacy of the Biden election, that he is helping his own political prospects for a return to power in four years. Mark Sumner argued that, and I think it was a pretty convincing case. Um, you know, the, the, obviously there are differences between what he's doing now and what, and what I talked about it with the stab in the back myth in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that what he's doing is, is undermining our democracy because you'll have tens of millions of people if he never you know if he keeps this up and never concedes and never says all right i really did lose which he won't you'll have tens of millions of people who are going to be hearing this not only from trump but from this media you know this right-wing media uh, even if it you know if it's whether it's fox news or these new newer organizations like oan or breitbart or newsmax where there's a closed loop and they're all saying the election was stolen Biden destroyed our democracy, so therefore, you know, we have to fight back to defend our democracy. So they, they won't even be thinking to themselves, we're undermining our democracy. They'll be thinking, we're protecting our democracy. That's what's so scary. And in, in the same way in Germany, while you had people like Hitler saying, well, the democracy is illegitimate, so we have to fight to protect Germany, that's the same thing that people on, on the right who are devoted Trumpers are going to be saying, well, we're, we're fighting to protect America. And that means we won't have a, a system that a, de a democratic system that is seen as legitimate across the board, at least not by however many 50, 60, 70 million of you know people. Uh, whether it's going to be 72, 73 million Trump voters, I think a decent chunk of them, unfortunately, are going to follow Trump's lead on this. And I don't know where that takes us as a country. Does Trump intend to destroy our democracy? I don't think he's thinking along those lines, but I don't think he cares if that would be the result. And that's the sad thing or the, the scary thing. The, the, the thing about it, and Ian, is uh, I, I want to sort of see if I can push your, your thought process on the previous question again, given what you've just said as well. Because I, I agree with you. I don't think that Donald Trump is thinking anything through. I, don't, I think Donald Trump is that petulant kid who wants to say, I am not a loser. Uh, that petulant kid that knows he didn't get the, 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 the candy and will do whatever he can to get the candy. I believe that. But that, can, that does not exist in a vacuum. In other words, he is the president of the United States, but he is a paper tiger. I used the paper tiger on, an, on, on a newsletter that I sent out today, and I got some pushback because the people who pushed back said, but look at how much damage he has done. A paper tiger, in, in effect, you're saying, can just be torn up, and, and, and that just has a lot. And my thing is, no, but there are a lot of people out there executing for Donald Trump because, in other words, in his ineptitude, in his bravado, in the things that he does, it allows them to get the things that they want realized. And I, I, I want people to 
and I'm hoping that people would go a bit deeper that Donald Trump cannot exist as just the president of the United States, just as much as President Obama was neutered in a lot of ways by that which surrounded him. And my contention is that which surrounds Donald Trump, unless they are going to use that, how can he be? Well, yeah, I, I think he can't exercise power. And that, I guess, is what makes him to some degree a paper tiger, at least in this election process. He can't exercise, the, he doesn't have the power to overturn the election unless election officials in the various states right. essentially, you know, don't do their jobs and don't uphold the oaths uh, that they swore to uphold on the constitution of their states when they took the jobs. But he can cause damage as a demagogue, right? Certainly he doesn't have to have uh, uh, governmental authority to rile people up, maybe to get people into the streets, maybe get people into the streets with, you know, with violent intent. Uh, we've seen that on occasion throughout his presidency. And the, you know, the question is, where do we stand three months from now, let's say after Joe Biden has been inaugurated and you have large numbers of people who don't see him as a legitimate president. And even if that's not enough, let's say something terrible happens and the economy goes into the tank, whether it's over COVID or something else. You know, it's one thing that to, to say that people in Germany saw the democracy as, as illegitimate, but it also took the Great Depression to bring the democracy down but the fact that the questions were already there were, you know, its foundation was weaker. The United States was able to survive the Great Depression, has been able to survive other crises. But my fear is that if Trump and his movement succeed in, in bringing into question the, 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 the legitimacy of democracy to the point where people say to themselves, I don't care about democracy at all. I only care that my guy is in power or that my side is in power. And that that's more important than anything else. Well, then you're going to get violence. Well, that is the, the thing about it, Ian, is we don't have to ask if that is where we are, because that is where we are. The fact of the matter is uh, that two uh, that two Republicans in Michigan decided to just go ahead and say, no, uh, we're not gonna validate this election. The fact that we have two senators in Georgia who wants the, a Republican doing his job to quit. The fact that we have Lindsey Graham actively saying, get rid of those votes. These are all anti-democratic acts by people in power, not by the citizenry just saying, hey, we should throw those ballots out. The people who potentially have the power to do that. So. Your fear is already here. My question is, it's may, it may not be here in the majority, but it's here in, you know, 70 plus million people who decided that at all costs, they're willing to vote for a person like Donald Trump. Um, it, again, you, you said in your, in your piece that, uh, you know, there, there, there's examples in, in Nazi and we see what, Nat, uh, in, in Germany, and we see what Germany had to go through. Is this our Germany time? Well, at the end of the article, I said I was cautiously optimistic that we would not go down that road uh, as long as we didn't have a, a similar kind of economic shock as the Great Depression, right? But that's, you know, hopefully we don't have that. Hopefully we will never have that again. Um, but if you combine the underlying, let's say, weakness 
of American democracy, in, at least if you're going to say that, you know, having tens of millions of people seeing it as illegitimate is a weakness, and I think it, it, I think it is a weakness, if you threw us into a crisis, maybe that number grows. And maybe those people uh, are have enough force to create some kind of large-scale mass uprising. Well, let me postulate. Let me postulate, uh, Ian. Because right now, economically speaking, we are at the precipice for a large percentage of Americans. People talk about a V-shaped recovery. No, what we've had, for real, for real, if you look at the numbers, it is a K-shaped recovery. And a lot of the people on that downward K are Trump supporters. Those are people in West Virginia. Those are people in all these rural areas. They're the ones that are going to take the brunt of this downturn. I mean, if you take a look at in, in Washington, D.C., in Houston, Texas, and a lot of places, the people that are suffering are, are of the lower economic strata. But still, um, with, with if McConnell was somehow to maintain power and not passing things like um, that, that pay people to stay home uh, and all these type of issues and, and, and the recovery that needs to come forth that cannot come forth without demand, we could be there. It's easy to see us having a crisis, even if it's a crisis of the 50%. I, I want to remind you of something. Recently, it was asked, are you better off today than you were uh, several, um, you know, four years ago? And I was absolutely sure 60 or 70% of Americans would have said, no, I'm not better off. 52% of Americans said they were better off. Uh, what they, many didn't understand is a lot of them were better off because they were collecting unemployment compensation from their state and the government was giving them an extra 2,400 bucks a month. So they looked good for, for, the, for the duration of the time when that poll was taken. Uh, what happens when that changes? Right, at the end of the year, unless Congress takes more action, the, the extra unemployment benefits to the degree that they were even in, uh, kept going over the summer when the, when the $600 ran out, yeah. the rest of them are going to disappear at the end of the year. My hope, my hope is that even, even in the worst case political scenario that McConnell is, is successful in blocking any new aid, my hope is that we have uh, at, at, at worst a uh, another few months of difficult economic times and then we get a vaccine going and, and things are able to, to, to come back to a good state. That would still be s several months of suffering for large numbers of people. My hope is that it wouldn't be long enough suffering and widespread enough suffering that it would lead to something like civil war or, you know, or you know, mass violence in the streets. That's, that's, that's not, you know, that's a low bar to clear. That's not a good scenario, but I'm hoping that that you know, if there was no vaccine on the horizon, I would, I mean, my God, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Uh, so that's where I, I, I'm, look, I'm hoping that Democrats win those Georgia seats and that, that we have a Democratic Senate and we can do the things that are right for the American people. If we don't, there is going to be suffering. We need more stimulus. We need more help for people who can't and shouldn't be going back to work until we can get this crisis under control. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's going to be an uphill climb in Georgia. But I think if we, you know, we have a chance there. Uh, but Donald Trump is not helping, and that's what's so frustrating, right? Because we could have a president who uh, could recognize where things are and do what he what he's able to do to, to, to work on a transition. We could have a Senate 
where uh, the Republican leader says, all right, listen, let's do something. Let's do something realistic that we can do now. And, and, and we'll see what else we can do in January, but let's get something through now that, you know, as opposed to them making absurd demands where the Democrats uh, have no choice but to say no, because what they're, what they're offering is, is uh, so weak as to be uh, unhelpful. But we're not there right now with this president or with this Senate leader. Now, um, I'm gonna change subjects a bit. You wrote another article, uh, America needs a Biden landslide to avoid chaos. Let's make sure we get one. And the thing about it is, you know, I've been preaching that for a long time. In fact, I was prognosticating a landslide based on the, uh, based on the, the pain of the people, based on the activism of the people, etc. What I didn't see was on the right side, the amount of microtechnology being used to bring people out that I never thought existed. Now, um, we got, we did, you know, I think America fulfilled your request. They gave Biden a landslide. They gave Biden more votes than Biden or any other presidential candidate had ever seen. Unfortunately, they gave uh, the second place to Donald Trump. And we don't know where the hell those people came from. What are your thoughts? First of all, why do we always think that those on the progressive side need to have somehow more than a 50 plus one vote to determine that we are the victors right well that that that's actually not what i was saying i was making more making a prediction that if the vote was close and there wasn't a, a overwhelming landslide that trump would do exactly what he's doing now that he would cause chaos uh so this was um you know my my hope that none of the states or uh, that, it, that, wouldn't, that, that the Electoral College wouldn't be close and you wouldn't have close states, which is exactly what we have now, unfortunately. We don't need a, land, we don't need a landslide to have a legitimate victory. Oh, no, um, no, I, I understood right. that from your article. I understood right. that from your article. But I'm saying it, it's been, it, you, you hear it all the time. We need such a big victory just to say we've won. Well, that's because the other side is, well, at least right now with Trump, the other side is willing to destroy democratic norms in order to achieve its goals. And so one, you know, the realist says, you know, well, we gotta, we've gotta win by so much that there's nothing they can complain about. And that shouldn't be the case. That should not be the case. That's on them. That's on the, on the Trumpers and on those who are willing to, to, to violate, you know, and, and shred our constitutional norms. Not on us. Uh, as to, you know, where those votes came from, you know, who knows? I, I do think that, you know, COVID certainly played a part. Uh, this was not a normal election. Democrats did not do the normal knocking on the door, get out the vote effort that they normally do. There's a reason why they do it. It works. We didn't do it because we didn't want to get people sick. But Republic yeah, I must, I, must, I must push back on that. Again, Biden got more votes than any other president in, I mean, we, we brought the people out. We yeah, just, but, those right. others came from. Well, but of course, population grows up with every election, so it doesn't really mean as much to say. Yeah, but I mean, look, we're talking from 65 million for Clinton to right. 78 million or more for Biden. That's right. That's it's impressive. It's impressive. I, uh, both sides managed to bring out a lot of voters, but there's no question Biden's win is impressive. He's going to end up with a popular vote margin that will be comparable to probably a little stronger than, in terms of percentage, uh, Barack Obama defeating Mitt Romney, which 
is seen as a you know a very very solid win right we just have a system unfortunately that's not really that democratic right because we have a senate not only the electoral college right but we have a senate that's not distributed according to the, to the actual representation of the votes so we've got a we've got a win in but not just when we have to win in the right ways, which is ridiculous um, and very frustrating. And, you know, we, we could talk about, about ways to deal with that. But, you, you know, we have a system where the, the party that comes in second place often gets the power that comes with winning. Shocking. And that's, you know, that's not sustainable in the long run either. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, think, uh, I think, like I said, if for some reason Trump had pulled it out and because remember, there there is a total of probably seventy something thousand votes right now, depending on how you look. If we look at Arizona, Georgia, and another state, and those were low margin states. If you look at what those states brought and how those could have tied the let's say tied the um, tied the vote, and then Donald Trump wins because there are more states that are controlled by Republicans than Democrats. That would be a second consecutive win with much less than the popular vote after having a 2000. And uh, how the hell can we preach democracy around the world? That's right. Uh, you know, I think Wisconsin, Wisconsin was also close. If, yeah, he, he would have, if he, he could have flipped Wisconsin, Georgia, and Arizona, he wouldn't even have to go to the House of Representatives. Exactly. The president. We have a system where one side has a decided advantage and the only way to undo that advantage is to win by a huge margin enough to take the senate even though we're at a disadvantage it's you know it's like a boxer who has one hand tied behind his back but the only way he can get that hand untied is by beating his opponent with one hand tied behind his back it's very very frustrating yes uh, and and it's not the easiest thing to change and Although I love Barack Obama, one of the tr true failings of the of his presidency was that when they had 60 votes in the Senate, or even when they had 59 or 58, that they didn't make some of the fundamental changes to the system that would have made it more equitable going forward. Uh, they Maybe they just thought they were going to, you know, the demography would be destiny. Clearly, that's not the case. Um, the Democratic agenda is more popular. Democratic presidential candidates win more votes. It's now seven out of the last eight elections. But until we figure out how to change the rules, it's going to be very difficult to implement our policy and, and our sadly, agenda. And sadly, the rules are so simple. One person, one vote. Whoever gets the most votes, win. Unfortunately, that is not what we have. Well, uh, look, it's uh, been my pleasure having you here. Ian, before we go any further, what question would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't ask you? Wow. Well, I think I, what I would like to, to have had you ask me is, is how do we as progressives appeal to voters of all races uh, and in particular, those who would benefit from our progressive economic policies and as well as from our progressive policies on civil rights and justice and, and do so in a way that, uh, you know, can reach all of these voters without either turning off one group or the other group. And, and I think the answer to that 
comes from the research uh, of a person who I've written about, and that is Professor Ian Haney Lopez, who is a law professor at Berkeley. And he uh, has written recently written a book called Merged Left, and he also has some terrific online resources under the, under the name, which you can Google, of Race Class Academy. And he says, listen, we have to avoid falling into the trap of, of, of uh, arguing either that Democrats should talk about racial justice uh, only, or you know, and 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 um, make that our primary, you know, focus, the sort of moralistic argument, or that we should have a race-blind economic populist approach. And Professor Lopez says neither of those two are effective in terms of winning elections, or they're not the most effective. In fact, both of those messages often fall prey to the kind of dog whistle politics of the right. He says, what we have to do is we have to be able to talk about race and class in an integrated way. And the long story short is, he says that the message that works, and they've done research, you know, public opinion research to, to test these different messages. He says, this is what we have to do. He says, listen, you got to tell voters that Republicans are out there pitching a racist dog whistle message in order to keep white and black and brown and uh, Native American members of the working class divided against each other. That's what the purpose of the racist message is. So rather than say, Trump's a racist, everybody who follows him is a racist, racism is bad, vote for Democrats. You say, racism is the tool of the economic elite that doesn't want you working class white voters to ally with working class voters of color. They want you working class white voters to be afraid of people of color, of immigrants coming across the Rio Grande. That's why Trump talks about Mexican rapists and whatever. And that's why Trump talks about uh, low income people coming to the suburbs. It's all about getting the working class whites to think that the real threat is from people of color. And then in the meantime, they don't recognize or they don't remember, these working class whites don't remember or recognize that the economic policies of the Republicans are totally designed at sucking the wealth up the economic ladder to benefit the wealthy. Divide and rule. So that's what Lopez says works. You gotta talk about racism as a class weapon. Racism as a weapon to divide the, the white working class from the working class and other people of color. And the, so therefore you wanna inoculate these white working class voters into recognizing the racist dog whistles as a, a, a lie and be a way to attempt to to uh, fool them or distract them from voting on, on what their real interests are. So that's a message. If you had asked me that question, that would be the answer I would have given you. And I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, while he did it from as an academic mission, I did it as a as a simple progressive. And I just wrote a book called "It's Worth It: How to Talk to Your Right Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors." And that book covers exactly what you talk about, Professor. How, first of all, racism is a tool, and you don't you don't attack the perceived racist for being racist. You attack the system that brought forth what uh, what's used to divide and conquer. And I covered all of that in the new book that I just released three months ago called "It's Worth It: How to Talk to Your Right Wing and uh, uh, Right Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors." So. Thank you for giving me a chance to just do a little plug on my own book, but let's go ahead and talk to our audience about your book, which is The Tribalization of Politics, How Rush Limbaugh's Race-Baiting Rhetoric on the Obama Presidency Paved the Way for Trump. Show me that book, Ian. I know you have it there now. That, 
That is, folks, a must read. Ian is an acclaimed writer at Daily Coast, acclaimed professor, and he also wrote Obama's America, a transformative vision of our national identity, as well as imagine, uh, imagining an Austrian nation, Joseph Samuel Block, and the search for a multi-ethnic Austrian identity. Ian Reifowitz, it's been my pleasure to have you once again on Politics Done Right. As usual, we've always come out knowing a hell of a lot more than when we went in. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy our conversations very much. We, I, I love Ian because when, when Ian speaks, he speaks with the authority of the research that he does and that he does a lot of. He does a whole lot of research so he knows of what he speaks. Um, uh, you know, I want to touch a little bit about that racism that Ian was talking about. You know, Ian, Ian is good at it. And I, I think it's important that people see where, where many of us are coming from on this issue. You see, um, racism is a trope that is easily used and can also be misused. And what I try to say is, it is a taught behavior. It is something that has really destroyed our politics, but it's something that's used against us. So for those of you who are listening, and, and since Ian ended on the race issue, it wasn't the subject of this show today, but I want to kind of expand on that. Because right now, what I'm seeing in the country a lot of it is through the lens of race and to put it bluntly as nice as I can that is idiotic and the reason it is is because if you look at our plutocracy if you look at the folks on the top they really don't care they don't really care about what you are how you look or anything they just care about dominance money and power nothing more and they will use whatever is necessary to do so to have to maintain that and the way they do it is they, they use the racism trope. So when you hear me talk about, I have a lot of racist friends and people look at me like, well, are you crazy? My answer to that is no, because I look at racism and these issues as a real disease, as something that's put onto people. You know, you sit down with your friend and, and you sit down with whoever your friend is and you have a drink and you talk about your families and all of that and you realize that, damn, we all want the same thing. We all think alike for the most part. We have different cultures based on environment and based on where we're from, etc. But when you come to America, eventually all these things kind of merge into one and it's great. But... If we institute that within all these masses, there are people of different, uh, people have different levels of pride, people have different levels of ambition, and some people, because of location, have not made it. If you can turn those people, the, the problems that they have, onto another set of people and just say, those other people that don't look like you are taking advantage of you, then somehow, then somehow, that have a tendency to work in an ignorant base. What we have to do as people, everybody that's listening to me here, whether a Republican, Democrat, right wing or left wing, if you're on my show, I know basically, even if you have points of racism, a lot of people do. It isn't something that you're proud of or want to live by. 
try try to be a part of the solution by looking at things objectively, understanding that uh, that the black trope, the white trope, the the Latino trope, all these things make absolutely no sense because ultimately everybody just wants to have a roof to live under. They want to have a job. Don't buy into the trope that there are these groups of people that are just lazy. There are these groups of people that are lazy because of the environment that they were brought into. Not because they're lazy out of some genetic thing. That doesn't exist. As soon as we start looking at things the way we should, we would have changed this country. Folks, if you're just coming in, I want you to consider getting my book. This will be helpful as well. I even cover the race issue in my book. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. It's, 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 a, it's a good read that I suggest that you get. How do you get it? You can get it at Amazon. And I'm putting the link on Amazon right now to get the book. And you, you can get a lot of my other books. How to, uh, as I see it, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom, and how to, uh, you know, and my, my weight loss book, you know, I've had weight problems and found ways out of it. Uh, alternatively, you can buy all of my books at my store. The store is at politicsdoneright.com slash store. Anybody who buys the book at our store, they will get a, a signed copy of the book, and we, we throw a bumper sticker and a few other things in the box as well. So please consider going ahead and get my book, politicsunright.com slash store is where you can get it or at the link that I put in there. Now, if you are watching us on YouTube, please consider becoming a part of our posse. Please click that join button. Please become one. You are helping us promote a necessary message. One that's not trying to split America up or anything like that. One that's not trying to have anybody get rid of their own values, but one that is actually trying to make a difference. If you believe that you want to have shows like what we do here to make a real difference in America, please go ahead and support us. Another way of doing that is to click that join button, become a part of, of our posse, our YouTube posse. Now, there are a lot of benefits. You click on it and you'll see what they are. And by the way, if you're not on YouTube, if you're looking at us at another channel, you can go to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Again, that is politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. And that way, you can also join our YouTube posse. We always want you to become patrons, folks. Go to Patreon, politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon is how you support us via Patreon. You can support us via PayPal as well, and that is politicsunright.com slash PayPal. Okay, I think I'm done giving you all the options to support us. If anybody supports us right now and we see that green button, oh, by the way, on, on YouTube, you can click the dollar sign and give us a super chat if you'd like as well. If anybody does it while the show is live, I will go ahead and announce you right away. Egberto Willis, good luck uh, tomorrow with... Uh, Ashley, yeah, Ashley is doing fine. She is improving her... Um, I, I, you know, I had some videos that I did with, with her as she's retraining her left hands and, and her left leg and so forth. We had her drinking water with, uh, with her cup. She's doing, she's, she's improving. She's a trooper. She's still in school. She's studying for a major test. Uh, so thank you all for asking about her. Uh, you know, that is my heart. That is my baby. But um, 
So that's the reason we're doing the show out of uh, D.C. I should be back in Houston this uh, on, on Monday so that um, you, you'll have a better quality show. But, you know, uh, I will not ever leave my peeps hanging as long as I can, as long as I can do a show wherever I am uh, to do it. Pamela Matak, thanks for saying go Ashley. Go Ashley. All right. Okay. Let's go ahead and uh, start talking to you. your your comments. Uh, let, let, actually, let me start the comments from the bottom up because it, it's easier for me to do the scroll. Okay. Let's go. Linda E. By the way, thank you for being here. And Pamela Matak, thank you for saying go Ashley. Egberto Willis, good luck tomorrow. I'll be here tomorrow as well, my friend. Thank you so kindly. Uh, Kuna, let's see, let's see. Um, oh, by the way, uh, uh, Michael Rodnan, thank you so, uh, thank you so much for giving us that stuff about the the amount of people that have voted. That is an important piece of stuff that people need to see. Uh, anybody have message? Yeah, yeah, Linda, she's doing well. Uh, going back up, Michael Rodney. Yes, so let's see what else I have here. Replying to Bridge, I'm looking for Gems Vote Counted. Um, Vincere Altamori. All I'm going to tell you is if you think there's voter fraud, I spoke to the ultimate. Greg Palace is the ultimate person on voting in America today. Check out what Greg Palace has to say about voting machines, traceability, and also uh, the, the, the roles. The roles are usually messed up not by Democrats but by Republicans, and there are particular reasons why. But we, we can go that some other time. Racism has nothing to do with ensuring election integrity. It doesn't have anything to do with it, but it is used to, to cut people off the line. All right. I'm getting inundated. This is from Linda E. I'm getting inundated with their request for money, and it's getting frustrated, even if I had money, which I don't. You know, it's interesting because there are a lot of folks that are asking for money now that the election is over. That I'm trying to, you know, if it's not, if, if they're not programs like what we're doing, that's trying to educate the base, that's trying to move the base forward, it really, it bothers me as well. Because to put it bluntly, it takes away from a lot of us who are trying to do good, as opposed to corporate entities that are trying to get money. Uh, and unfortunately, that is, that is who gets most of the money right now, corporate entities. Uh, organizations like mine, we have to scrape for the bottom of the barrel, pennies, that is what we get to, to move this stuff for. And it's not cheap. It is not cheap to do this. Okay, let's continue. Change of topics. I wonder, Linda E., how we can get past the constant we need money, they are out spending dollars. Get... Okay, there are two answers to that, uh, Linda E. One, the we need money that comes from all the, these emails that you get, right? The ones that come from uh, all these corporate type uh, money machines, what they do is they have a mailing list. And they know that a for every time they throw that mailing list out, there's a percentage of people that, are, that it's going to hit. And they know that after you see it about 10 times or so, you're just going to disregard it. They know that they're playing the numbers game. Are they doing a bad thing? No. The problem I have is many of these organizations have very expensive executives running these organizations that get paid uh, pretty well. So they're asking people who are making uh, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars to give them a lot of money for a guy who's making two, three hundred thousand dollars. I don't think that is worth that is that is right. You know, organizations like politics done right. We scrape. I'm just telling you straight up. We scrape. Personally, gave up a lucrative business to do this. I've never, ever, ever regretted 
doing this because I think this is essential. I have a daughter, you have kids. This is what we need to do. Okay, I think it's getting to that close time that I need to be closing this down. Most of the conversations I think were answered throughout the show. I'm still scrolling through. I'm still scrolling through. If there's something specific that I didn't answer, just throw me another message before we close out the show and I'll be able to do so. Everyone sign the above petition. Okay, Michael Rudnan, what is it about? I'll go ahead and sign it. Great. Okay, I think we're getting close to the end. Look, folks, I want to thank you so kindly for being a part of the show today. I really couldn't do this without any of you. Please go ahead and consider getting my book or books that I, I have several books. Please consider clicking that join button on Facebook, on, on YouTube or Facebook as well. Please consider supporting us. What we do makes a difference. I promise you what we do make a difference. How do I know? The emails that, that I get, the messages that I get from the newsletter that I send out, those are the most touching things. When, when you hear somebody say, you know, at first I didn't believe, but now I do. Let's go ahead and keep this ball rolling. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.